on someone's mind. Before you said a prayer and accepted Jesus, before you were invited to church, or before they even knew who you were, they sacrificed for you. Whether through their effort, their time, or their finances. They all did it for one common reason. To see God change you into who you are today. The series title is, I Was Next. I Was Next. The video did a fantastic job introing that thought, and I want to kind of unpack it for you in regards to our church locally and to anybody here, who's, anybody watching through the video where you are as well, because this is true for you as well. Somebody saw you as worth talking to about Jesus. And I think that we have to internalize this in our spirits because we tend to forget it. We tend to think in our fleshly mind, in our worldly mind, that we got here on our own, that we made it, that we crossed our spiritual T's, dotted our spiritual I's, and we came to Christ. But that's not really the truth. What actually happened was somebody invested in you. Somebody thought you were worth it. Somebody helped get you here. You're looking at somebody who other people helped get here. I am not someone who saved myself. I was invited to a youth camp in 1989 by a man named Dale, and it changed my life. God got a hold of me radically, but it was through that invitation and then people before him that helped bring me to church, my parents and people before them who invited them to church and people before them who told them about Jesus and everybody here. You need to realize this. You need to remember this so that it keeps you aware of the big picture of God's purposes in the world. It's not really centered on you, but it's going to come through you to other people beyond you. So here's the big idea in the message series, and you're going to hear stories through this series. It's a three-week series. You're going to hear three stories, and today's message title is, What's Your Story? First uh, Samuel chapter 1. Would you take out the bulletins? In your bulletins, there is a note page, and it looks like this. And if you're watching online, you can, through waterschurch.tv, click on the notes tab. It's right there. Look at it. It's right there notes. Click on that. You can fill in the blanks online as well, but this is what we give those who come in-house, and we want you to fill in the first blank here because this is the big idea of the series, okay? The big idea is everyone here is here because someone cared enough to invite you, influence you, raise you, train you, teach you, preach to you, and pay for a space to make room for you so that you would know and experience eternal life. You think about that, that's a game changer in your mind. And the theme of our, our year for our church is who's next, because we want to believe that there are people yet to come to our church. There are leaders yet to be raised up in our church. There are small group leaders yet to step out and start their small group in our church. And there are missionaries and pastors and leaders and business leaders and community leaders in our church that have yet to become who they are going to become. I am excited about who's here, but I'm also excited about who's next. 
in the plan and purposes of God, and I hope you are too. But before we talk about who's next, we gotta remember and take a time out in our uh, church uh, life this year to say, wait, let's remember that I was next. And I am the product of somebody taking the words of Jesus seriously. When Jesus rose from the grave, he taught his disciples for about 40 more days. They saw him alive. They walked with him for 40 more days after he rose from the grave. And he left them with this phrase in Matthew 28, 19. He said, go, go and make disciples of all nations. Not just the Jews, not just Israel, all nations, the people like you, the people not like you, the people with different colors than you, the people with different customs than you, the people that you don't even like. Go and tell them about me. Make disciples of all kinds of different people and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them whatsoever I've commanded you and I am with you until the end of the age. And somebody in your history took that phrase seriously enough to get you here. Even if you're not yet a Christian, even if you're just kind of kicking the tires of Christianity and seeing if this is true, you got here somehow. Someone paid for the advertisement on the billboard that made you think about coming here. Or somebody had the awkward conversation with you at work that made you come here. Or somebody gave birth to you and made it not optional for you to be here. Good parents, I call those people. But whatever it was, you were on their mind. And you were on their mind because they took the words of Jesus seriously. And so we're gonna look at someone in the Bible, someone that we don't get a lot of press about in the Christian world. I don't even think they've done a movie about her. I've seen movies done about Esther. I've seen movies done about Ruth, but I've never seen a movie done about Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter one. Hannah is gonna be a person who, through a small moment, a small prayer changes the world and leads, listen, I'm not overstating this, and leads to us being here today. And her story is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She's a small person. She's, a, she's somebody that we kind of brush over, but I want to pay attention to her because it is powerful what God does through her. Would you stand with me as we read just a few verses from this chapter, and then I'm going to unpack the chapter and, and kind of give you context to what we're reading as we stand. So I'm going to read just a few, just like two verses, and then I'll give you context through the message. So verse 10, chapter 1, 1 Samuel, she, this is Hannah, Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and we're going to find out why she's so upset in just a moment. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the, on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. Skip down to verse 20. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, I pray that our eyes will be open. I pray that we will hear your voice. I pray that every word out of my mouth will be exactly what you want it to be and nothing that you don't want it to be. We surrender these moments to you. And as we pray every single week, I pray sincerely today, help us to see Jesus, him and him only. And in his mighty name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. 
Hannah is a small person. Hannah is a small moment. She's only in two chapters of the Bible, and then she disappears off the pages of Scripture. But I'm going to tell you something. You are here today because of what Hannah prayed that day. You are. If you're taking notes, write it down. Small moments can lead to massive movements. This is a small moment. It's a prayer. It's the prayer of a destitute woman who's broken, who's been mistreated and mis and has, 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 has had a misfortune placed upon her life. And she takes the misfortune and the mistreatment and turns it into a prayer that leads to a movement. Small moments can lead to massive movements. I'm telling you this as an American citizen as well because we are in February. February is Black History Month and in this month we should and must talk about people like Rosa Parks the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, powerful people God used to initiate a movement toward justice in this country. But even they had their inspiration from smaller moments. Rosa Parks gets the headlines, but she herself was inspired by someone that you may have never heard of. The woman's name is Claudette Colvin, and we have a picture of her on the screen here. Claudette Colvin was a 15-year-old girl in Montgomery, Alabama, who on March 2nd, 1955, was riding the bus, and according to the city law in that time, state law, I think, it required that as the bus filled up and white people got on the bus, black people were forced to give up their seat from the front all the way to the back in this hideous stain on our history. And in that moment, on March 2nd, 1955, a 15-year-old girl, Claudette Colvin, said no. Nine months before, Rosa Parks said the same thing. She was 15 years old and they said, get up, and she said, no, I know my constitutional rights. 15 years old. I wonder how many 15-year-olds here know what the Constitution is. Like they know what Fortnite is. <laughs> Do they know what Article 1 is? <laughs> they said, we're going to arrest you. She said it again. I know my constitutional right. You can't take this seat away from me. They said, they called the police. She screamed, I know my constitutional right. 15 years old. Man. They arrested her. They dragged her to jail. They shut the door behind her. And she talks about that moment, she gets on her knees and she prays the Lord's Prayer and recites Psalm 23 to herself again and again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Inspired, friends, not by politics, but inspired by the word of the living God that strengthened her and sustained her through what must have been an, a massively scary ordeal. And because of her faith and because of her persistence and because of her actions, the actions of a small, unknown 15-year-old girl, nine months later, Rosa Parks would do the exact same thing and a movement would start toward justice for this country. Thank God for people like Claudette Colvin. I think of Harriet Beecher Stowe who was raised by an abolitionist preacher 
in the 1800s and lived across this river from a slave plantation. And she saw the hideous, disreputable environment slaves and how, of slavery and how they were treated. And, and her father preached about, against slavery and their family was very much hated in that context. And eventually she married a professor and they moved up here to Brunswick, Maine, just an hour north of uh, Portland, Maine, and he took a professorship at Bowdoin College, and she was sitting in a church service just like this, and she was watching the communion happen, and she had a vision of Jesus, and then she had a vision of a slave being killed by its slave master and, and, and forgiving the slave master at the time of his death, and she started to write about that, and it became the book Uncle Tom's Cabin. And that book became the moral impetus behind the Northern Army's uh, fight for civil justice and the abolition of slavery. It led to the Emancipation Proclamation and Harriet Beecher Stowe herself being introduced to the president uh, of, the, of, of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, and he met her and said these famous words. So this is the little girl who wrote that little book that started this great war. Small moments. Communion services, refusing to give up your seat, can lead to massive movements. Can I tell you what I get excited about with my job? I am one of the luckiest people on the planet because I get to do this job, telling you what God says. Because I never know what's gonna happen when you hear what God says. The Bible calls the gospel the power of God. The word power in Greek is dunamis, meaning explosive power. We, we named dynamite after the power of the gospel. Dunamis power. You don't know what's going to happen when people like you, like me, hear that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, came and shed his blood and died and was buried and suffered enormous injustices but forgave as he suffered and went all the way to the grave but didn't stay there. Three days later, came out of the grave to the glory of the Father and now welcomes you and me, hopeless sinners, into the hope of heaven for all eternity. And you never know. You never know, I never know what's gonna happen when I say that. I get excited. Every morning on Sunday I wake up, I'm like, what are you gonna do today, God? This is gonna be great, this is gonna be great, and it might not be everybody, but it's gonna be somebody. It's gonna be somebody. I want you to write this down in your notes. You never know what will become of the next person you tell about Jesus Christ. Will they be the next evangelist? Will they be the next CEO who treats his employees fairly or her employees fairly? Or will it be the next political leader? Will it be the next president? Will it be the next missionary to an un unreached people group in our world? You never know. It's exciting. Some of you think that the action of Waters Church is up here on this stage. No. Some of you look at us, you're like, oh, oh look at the stage. Oh, oh. The stage people, wrong. We're just people. You know what I get excited? You know, you know where the action is? Out here. Out here. I get thrilled about it. What's gonna happen? Hi, Joe. What's gonna happen here? Who is God gonna touch out here? I just get so excited about this. The seats. Excuse me. Are these yours? Yeah. What's your name? Shirley. Shirley? Shirley. Is this your first time? No. Nope. Oh, thank God. <laughs> How many know that would be awkward for Shirley? 
And I just think about Shirley and people like Shirley who sit in these seats every week, and why are they here? For some of them, it was because they just found out that there's cancer in their body or somebody that they love's body. Or maybe it's a teenager who was bullied at school every week and they need to hear that Jesus loves them. Or, or maybe, maybe they just lost their job. Or maybe life was good, but they just feel empty. There has to be something more than just living the American dream. Who could be sitting in these seats that desperately needs to hear about Jesus and it will change the world? Yeah, it might not be another Claudette Colvin or a Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King or a D.L. Moody or Billy Graham, but it'll be somebody with a generational blessing offered to the world because Jesus invaded their story. I say this because I want you to be clear about what we're doing here. I want you to be clear about what we're doing here. We are not just having church. We are not just doing religious stuff. We are not just being good people, trying to impress God in heaven so that we can gain brownie points in heaven. No, what's happening here? Life change is happening here, and you never know the impact of the world upon the people to whom the gospel's power makes an internal difference. Isn't that just a game changer for you? Because here's the thing about Hannah's prayer that I want you to see. Hannah prays a prayer for a son, and it's this small moment in Scripture, and it's not the coronation of a king, and it's not you know, this great victory of an army, and it's not, uh, you know, even the resurrection of Jesus, it's just a prayer, a two-verse prayer. And yet, if she doesn't pray this prayer, you don't get Samuel, who anoints David, who kills Goliath, who produces a child named Solomon, who produces other children all the way down to a, name, to a guy named Jesus, who dies for the sins of the world, who rises again and, and makes a way for the Holy Spirit to come upon his people, who are empowered with the message of the gospel to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth, all the way around the earth to North Attleboro and Attleboro, Massachusetts, to you. <laughs> See, if she doesn't pray that prayer, you're not here today. <laughs> what could God do through you? But the question has to be asked, why was the prayer prayed in the first place? That is an interesting story. I wanna look at it a little closer. So if you got 1 Samuel open, I just want you to look at how her story unfolds. We're gonna start with verse two. They'll be up on the screen if you don't got a Bible, so don't worry. He, this is Elkanah, her husband, Hannah's story. He had two wives, okay. That's a bad choice. Uh, every time the Bible talks about a guy having two wives, it goes terribly for everybody involved. It's the Bible's way of screaming at you, don't do this. <laughs> okay, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. So he mentions Hannah first because she is his first wife. But he takes his second wife and we're gonna find out why. The name of the other was Penina and Penina had children, but Hannah had none. So he marries Hannah, no children. He says, I gotta take me another wife to have some children. I gotta have some offspring, and so he takes another wife. 
Now, I used to go up and worship at Shiloh, and verse four says, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, Penina, his wife, and to all her sons, plural, and daughters, plural. So this girl is just popping out babies. Verse five, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though, and if you got your notes out, just underline this phrase, though the Lord had closed her womb. That's an interesting way for the Holy Spirit to inspire the biblical writer to put that down. You don't say she couldn't have children, she was infertile, or you know, she had a sickness or a debilitating disease. No, the Lord had closed her womb. Sometimes the thing that God allows and actually brings into your life has a purpose far bigger than the present pain you are experiencing. And her rival, verse six, check out this peach. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Like this, the scripture leaves no room for, oh, she just didn't know what she was doing. No, she knew exactly what she was doing. Calling her out, naming her, blaming her, just defacing her, making her feel like a nobody. Why? I want to irritate you. Do you have someone like that in your life? Why are they doing this? And why does God let this person stay in my life? They literally suck the life out of me. That's Hannah's story. This went on, verse seven, year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. So what should have been a pleasurable experience of going to church, going to worship God, going to do what God wants his people to do, actually turned into a miserable event. She used to provoke her, and therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And verse eight, her husband Elkanah said to her, ladies, you're gonna love this guy. <laughs> Hannah, why do you weep? <laughs> What's the big deal so you don't have kids? That's what I got Panina for. Why do you not eat? You're ruining our meal. Everybody can see you're not happy. And why is your heart sad? I don't understand. And then, <laughs> this question. Am I not more to you than 10 sons? Consider the people in Hannah's life. Children that she did not bear that she has to care for. Born from a woman who intentionally provokes her and irritates her and makes fun of her. And then a husband who's completely oblivious to the pain all this is causing her and has an ego the size of Michigan. <laughs> Verse nine, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose, now Eli the priest and Scripture here introduces Eli, who you will hear later in verse in First Samuel about. Um, he's sitting there on the door beside the doorpost of the temple, and she was deeply distressed. There, there it is. That's how she got here, and she wept bitterly and she prayed and she prayed because of the pain and the hurts and the torment that other people who should have loved her brought upon her. So here's point number one that I want you to write down and I wanna make sure you hear. Yes, God can use the hurts and the hangups and the hardships of your life for his big picture purpose in the world. Yes, he can. Oh, you don't know my hurt, pastor. No, I don't, but he does and he can use it. 
I was thinking about Hannah's story and I was thinking about all the things that could have been different for her that may not have led her to pray this prayer. For instance, what if Elkanah did the honorable thing and just stayed married to her and her only, regardless of her inability to produce children? What if he had done that? What if he had said, what if he had done the noble thing and said, you know what, honey, one man, one woman, that's what we believe, that's, we're Jews, that's what the scripture says, I'm staying with you regardless of your performance as a mother or a wife for me, I'm doing what's right. What if he had done that? I mean, I'm surely, maybe it's possible that Hannah never would have prayed this prayer. What if Penina, instead of provoking her, actually just lovingly, graciously helped her and ministered to her and saw her pain and said, I don't want you to feel bad. These kids that I have, I'm gonna consider them your kids too. We're gonna be one happy family and you are my sister and I love you and God loves you and has a wonderful purpose. What if that had been the case? Would Hannah have prayed this prayer? Or what if the cultural context under which she lived that put such a premium on having children for women was not the case? What if she lived in modern day America where the non-childbearing woman is not thought of as less than in some cases? Would she have prayed this prayer? What's your point, pastor? My point is that God allowed all these pains and all this hurt and all these people coming at her and being ignorant of her and hurting her to bring about his divine purpose for the world and he can use your hurt too. By the way, when she goes to church, it doesn't go better for her, it goes worse. Did you see that? Because I didn't actually read that. I wanna back up a little bit, let's go back. Because she's depressed and she's praying and she's asking God to do something and she's saying, Lord, would you just look upon your servant and then look at this verse here, verse 13. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Yeah. Eli is the high priest. The Pope, if you will, the, the, the main, the lead pastor of her church. And she's sitting there saying, praying, praying, praying. And she's just mouthing the words, not saying the words. And he, in complete ignorance, says, you're drunk. You know, some people, when they go to church and they meet Christians, they get hurt by Christians and religious leaders and people who should do better, but they don't because they're flawed and some of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they let those hurts drive them away from God. And what I love about Hannah is she says, no way, I'm not letting you. I'm not letting a poor representation of the Lord of the universe stop me from getting the blessings from the Lord of the universe. Some of you need to learn how to do that. Some of you need to learn how to not wilt when God's professed servants hurt you. She does and she speaks up and I love it. She says, no, my Lord. I love that little combo. No, my Lord. <laughs> you need to learn. You need to learn how to be angry but not sin. No, my Lord. <laughs> I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor drink and I have been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for I have been speaking out of the great anxiety and vexation of my heart. Yes, God can use the hurts for his big picture purpose in the world. Have people provoked you? 
has society labeled you? Has your own family irritated you? Don't say amen. <laughs> Have people betrayed you? Are you now at that point wondering why? Well, the simple why is that the world is filled with sin. And the bigger why is that Jesus came to take that sin away and rescue out of the world from the clutches of sin, from the damages of sin, from the disgrace of sin, a people for himself who one day will be living in his presence for all eternity, freed from sin, washed clean, made pure, righteous and holy before our God and Father, and we will reign on the earth with him. So yeah, Hannah prays. I, I wonder how many of you need to start turning your pain into prayer. Stop turning your pain, stop turning your pain into a victim mentality. It's, it's happening, this plague on our country of victimization. Everybody's got something that keeps them down. And let me, let me just declare to the world how come it's somebody else's fault for why I am the way I am. Instead of doing that, why not pray to the Lord of hosts who is over whatever is over you and can intercede and intersect your life in a way that will undo whatever harm other people have put on you. Do you believe he's, do you believe that he's on the throne? Because that's how Hannah believed. Oh, Lord of hosts. The, 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 another translation says, the God of the angel armies. You can do something about this. You can, you can intervene. And he does. And the story's written down so that you don't fall into the same trap as non-believers in our current context to blame some other people, some other race, some other color, some other politicians, some other politics for why you are the way you are. We are not of this world. We are the children of the living God and he can do something powerful in spite of what the powers of the world do. Number two, yes, God can use your hopes and desires for his big picture purpose in the world as you surrender to his service. After you're done writing surrender, would you just circle surrender? Because that's the thing that a lot of church people don't ever do. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, have you surrendered to him now? It's great that you believe. Have you surrendered your life? to his big picture. By the way, God has a big picture purpose. The things, that, the things that God is letting happen to your life are going to work out for his big picture purpose and for your good, but ultimately his big picture purpose. What's that big picture purpose? To bring the nations to himself. To bring the people unlike you to himself. To have a family in heaven for eternity and he's gonna work that purpose out according to his desire and his plans and he can and will use your hopes and desires. Just like he will use Hannah's hope and desire for a son. She has a good desire, she wants a son. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you have been told that Christianity is about the elimination of all desires. 
Wrong religion. That's Buddhism. Okay? Desires are good. And God plants desires in your heart. But he wants to refine desires. And he will leverage desires. Some of you want a husband. You want a husband. I want a husband. I want a godly husband. I want a godly husband. <laughs> okay. Surrender. Surrender the desire for a godly husband to God. And let him do what he wants to do in your life. Because the guy that you actually end up marrying might not be as godly as he first appeared to be. Oh, I want that white picket fence. I want the Christian house. I want the Christian kids. I want the Christian dog and the Christian cat. <laughs> Bad news, there's no such thing as a Christian cat. <laughs> Surrender. Surrender. What, what if God gives you a special needs baby? Not special needs, special gifts. The way that God sees them. What, 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 if, what if you have to go through 10 years of misery in marriage so that eventually you start to change into who you were, uh, into, into somebody who's completely different than who you were when you said, I do. And the person that you become because of the misery is so much better at ministering to the needs of others because they had to go through the hell of realizing that the problem with their marriage was not the person they married, but the person they were when they married them. I mean, maybe we need to stop thinking about us and our needs and our wants and our dreams and our desires and our fantasies and start laying them down before the throne of Almighty God who has a bigger picture in mind for the plans of the world. So I want you to write this down, and I especially want to the 20-year-olds to write this one down. Surrender first, dream second. Surrender first, dream second. I, I love the fact that you dream. Dream, absolutely, but surrender first. What does Hannah say three times to the Lord? Remember your servant. Look upon your servant. Give your servant a son, and I will give him to your service. Do you know what that is? Surrender. I'm your servant. The Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. We shouldn't call it the Lord's Prayer. We should call it the Lord's Instructions for our prayer. The Lord's Prayer is actually John 17. But the Matthew 6, 9, 6, 6 to 6, 9 prayer is God's pattern for our prayers. And you got to remember that this is intentional because Jesus says, here's how you pray. Before you get to the point of prayer where you say, give us, back up, and say, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Big picture. Surrender. What you want, I want. What you're up to, I'm up to. What you're game for, God, I'm game for too. So whatever you want to do in this world, I want to be in on it. I want to do it. I, I, I have these ideas, but I think maybe if you just change them, if you just direct them, if you just reconfigure them, I think they'll be better in your hands. So your kingdom come, your will be done, and then give us. And then forgive us, because we're going to screw it up. <laughs> and help us to be forgivers, because they're going to screw it up too. 
and then lead us away from temptation so that we don't screw up and then protect us from the evil one because we know he's real. And all this we pray with a concluding doxology because yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory. It's not about us, it's about you, God. Surrender first. So Hannah surrenders. In verse 20 says, and in due time, and in due time, just underline due time. My due time is not the same as your due time. And all of our due times are not the same as God's due time. He's in charge of the due. And so in due time, she conceives and bears a son and she calls his name Samuel for I asked him, asked for him from the Lord. And then in chapter two of 1 Samuel, Hannah breaks out into prayer. It's the third longest prayer in the Bible. And it comes off the lips of a woman who nobody talks about. Isn't that beautiful? And what I'm saying that for is because the prayer in the Bible means that people had to go back to ask her what she prayed. She was a hero so much that people wanted to know, when you talked to God, what did you say? Who says the Bible's anti-woman? And so she tells them, and she says, and if you read her prayer in chapter two, it starts with her own little issues, and then it leads to big picture purposes. And I want to show you the climax of her prayer in verse eight, because she's gotten to big picture purposes. Now, he raises up, God raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth, big picture, are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world, big picture. Hannah asked for a child, asked for conception, small, and it led to her to see that God could do exceedingly abundantly above all that she asked or imagined. So number three is, yes, God can take your small moment of surrender and move the world in larger ways than you can imagine. We're here today because Hannah prayed. What could your prayers do? I said earlier in this message that what gets me so excited about preaching the word of God is that I never know how these words are gonna inspire change in the world. And I thought I would close with a story that I've never shared this weekend. It was in the 1970s when a married couple, now in their 30s, who had had two children in their 20s and then lived the 20-year-old rebellion, my thing, lifestyle for a decade and realized that their daughters were watching them and said, we gotta straighten up here. And they went to a church and the church that they went to was just doing church, not really much happening there. And then their friend from college invited them to her church where they had just gotten a new priest who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he spoke, it wasn't just a sermon, it was like God was speaking. And those two people came to that church, got filled with the Holy Spirit themselves. 
their lives totally and radically changed. Their family now for the glory of God, their family now for the big picture purposes of God in the world. And then a desire starts to get birthed in their hearts to have one more child. And the mom in this case is a Italian descent and in the Italian family line, you gotta have sons. You gotta, good, daughters are good, but you gotta have sons. Don't, I'm not making a, I'm not commending that, I'm just describing it. And she's in this environment, you gotta have sons, and she's one of three daughters, so her father didn't have sons, so she's gotta have son to make up for the lack of sons in the lineage, and so she prays. And you know what she prays? She prayed Hannah's prayer, the words in this text. And she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I promise to give him to you all the days of his life. And God answered her prayer, and she had a son. And that son is standing on this stage today preaching the word of God to you. <laughs> Two days ago, I was doing the funeral of the woman who invited my mother to that church. And she's in heaven right now rejoicing. And, and I, want, I want you to hear me I, 13 years later, after my, my mom gave birth to me, I came to her and I said, Mom, you won't believe this. I heard from God. I need to pastor. I need to be a pastor. That's my, that's my mission in life. And she said, oh, no, you're not. No, 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 no. You're going to go get a degree at something that will make you lots of money, and you're going to live the American dream, and you're going to make me proud. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. We fought back and forth for the four years of my high school until she finally relented and gave up her dream and surrendered to God. And can you believe it that when she finally surrendered to God, she actually then finally told me that story before I was born. And I said, how dare you? <laughs> and then I got over it and I realized that that's how God works. I am not some kind of spiritual superstar. I am the results of somebody else's faith who believed that God could do something through me, and so are you. You say, I don't come from a mom and dad who love Jesus. I don't come from that. Lucky you, pastor. I know, I know. So here's what God's saying to you today. You be the person who starts the generational blessing that starts from you and goes into your children and into your grandchildren and into your great-grandchildren. You be the person. That's what God's saying to you. Here's the decision I want us to close with today. Here's the decision. Here's the decision. Please make this decision with me. I was next in Jesus' mission, and it must not stop with me. Now, if I was to get a real nitty-gritty now, let me get there, because it's, it's stopping with you if you're not giving to the mission of Jesus in this church and only receiving. It's stopping with you if you will not serve, if you will not partner with us, if you will not join that small group, if you will not start to grow deeper in your faith and not just come to church religiously, but actually let God be the life inside of you. It's stopping with you if you see what your life is as it's your life and you expect God to bless what you want to do. No, stop that. Get on board with what God is doing and ask him to use you to bless what he wants to do. Stop letting it stop with you. We have team night this Thursday. Some of you need to be there because that's where you start to serve and learn how to serve and waters kids and cafe and all that stuff is, a, is an emphasis this Thursday. So maybe that's just a small step, small steps. Small steps to help people that one day will say I was next 
in your mind.